This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. Welcome into another episode of Five on Three, alongside Mike Messina. I'm Chris Hennessy on the uh, day after Game Two of the Stanley Cup Final between Tampa and Dallas. And Mike, we've seen two very different games so far. Split the game, so uh, they've split the game so far. Dallas wins Game One. Tampa wins Game Two. Just what are your overarching kind of conclusions? What you've seen so far uh, from the first two games of what has been an exciting Stanley Cup Final? Well, Chris, game one kind of got off to a fast fast start. Joe Hanley gets his first, not even playoff goal, first NHL goal. So that was good for him. But the Lightning kind of didn't seem themselves in game one. They didn't really have too much of a break from the Islander series as Dallas did. They had, I think, five, maybe six days off, I believe it was. But they just looked like a better team in game one, man. Like, Kadobin played absolutely amazing, 35 saves on 36 shots. He absolutely shut that offense down. And I think going forward, that's that's what's going to need to happen if Dallas wants to stay in this series. Kadobin's going to have to be that guy that he was in game one in every single game going forward. And for game two, Vasilevsky's at that level. He's one of the best goaltenders in the NHL, as we can tell from the awards, although he didn't win. But he's amazing, and the Lightning need him to play just like he did. It was a 3-2 win for the Lightning. Palat scored. They absolutely dominated the first two periods in game two, and I think that's kind of how it's going to be going forward for the rest of the series as well. I think Lightning are, are going to use that strength they have and just over, overpower Dallas the entire time. Yeah, I think that the Lightning have not looked like themselves for a, maybe a majority of these first two games. I think you're looking at game one where – they look, they did. They look tired. They looked a little bit out of sorts. And they come out firing in game two, three goals in the first period. Game feels over, right? Because they score three goals in four minutes. Braden Point on the power play, Andre Palat on the power play, and Kevin Shattenkirk at the end of the period. And then in the second and the third period, they just let Dallas get back in the game. And I think that Dallas kind of takes that. They pride themselves on making teams play down, down a little bit, right? Vegas is a great offense. And they, they stifled them. They, they shut them down a little bit in certain games, and, and they leaned on goaltending when they needed to. And in five of the six periods that we've seen so far, they've been able to do that to Tampa Bay. Now, what we've seen from Tampa Bay that we didn't see from Vegas is that their star power is just going to overpower Dallas in, in certain periods, at certain points of the game. The second goal that was scored last night by Andre Pallott, the assists are from Kucherov and Hedman, but all five players on the ice should get a point for that game. That was absolutely that was the greatest power play I've ever seen in my entire life. It was, it was, it was seamless. It was seamless. It was perfect. They like everything that could have happened went right for the landing on that power. It was amazing to watch. I've watched it probably five times this morning already. Everybody on the ice touches the puck. Kucherov with a sick cross ice pass to Palat. And they had this great camera angle from like the penalty box where you're just looking at the back of Palat's jersey and he gets the puck on the stick and he looks up and there's literally nothing between him and Twine. And it is wide, wide open net, and he absolutely buries it. That was the sickest power play I've seen, at least for the last couple of games, at least. Yeah, that was, that was one of the best power plays I legitimately have ever seen in my entire life. Um, but they, they were really clicking in that first period, and then they kind of slow down in the second period. They slow down in the third period. Dallas leans on Kudobin. He comes up big, and they're able to get two goals, make this game 3-2, to two and almost push it to an overtime at the end. But – Tampa Bay is the better team, and I think last night is a game that we're more likely to see more often than game one, which is 
a bunch of goals from Tampa Bay because that's who they are, but then Dallas is able to play that defense. And, and you know, it's honestly not that different from the Islander series. Like, yes, Tampa is the better team. They were the better team against the Islanders or the better team here, but against a really strong defensive team and a really good goalie who's playing really well right now, they're not going to score six goals a game. Now they scored eight against the Islanders in the first game. But after that, it was, you know, two goals, three goals, four goals. Double overtime, overtime. Right, double overtime, two in overtime. One was seven seconds. So it's like just these – just big goals, timely goals, uh, because they have the better players. They are the best team in the league. So, to me, the first two games have been exciting. I think they were a little bit closer than I thought they were. I think I was underselling Dallas because I have been kind of throughout the whole playoffs. Um my official pick, which I had to write in uh, to the Fordham Ram before game one, was Lightning in six. That's also where I'm sitting at, so we yeah. agree on that standpoint. I, I um, obviously stick with it. Nobody's – that's not out of this, the question yet. But what I think is interesting is the playoff MVP race, the Consumite three. So we're going to get to the other trophies uh, in a minute. But let's talk about the Consumite for a second because if you assume, if you say that – if Dallas wins the cup, it's probably going to be Kudobin. And if it's not, it's going to be Jamie Benn. Maybe Miro Heiss is going to get some votes. Maybe, like, a, you know, if they win in overtime, then the guy who scores the game, the Stanley Cup winning goal will get it. Who knows? But it's impossible to predict. But right now, probably Anton Kudobin. But you look at Tampa Bay. You have Andre Vasilevsky, who's played out of his mind, a sub-2 GAA in the playoffs, over a 93 save percentage. Yeah, Braden Point, who has 10 goals, and they've won basically every game he's played in the last he, – they've won literally – he's 5-1 and won the last six games he's played. He I'm is probably the best offensive player since the playoffs have started. Am I wrong? Uh, I mean, well, every, every, McKinnon, every, McKinnon didn't get – McKinnon didn't go a single game without a point until the end. He, McKinnon had the 15 okay, games. You're right. I, I, I guess I meant on the Lightning. Yeah, on the Lightning, he yeah, probably – I meant on the Lightning. Yeah. On the Lightning, yes, he, he probably has been. Kucherov has 22 assists. He'd be a third guy. And Hedman, Hedman against the Islanders couldn't stop scoring. He gets another assist, two more assists last night to get himself to eight assists. So we're 15 points for a defenseman in the playoffs. That's great. I mean, to me, Tampa Bay, whoever gets the cons mind for Tampa Bay if they win is going to deserve it because across the board, they are an extremely talented team who just gets goals from everywhere. Chris, are you – are you singling out Hiskinen for for winning the Smythe if Dallas does win it? Because he's at the top of the leaderboards in basically every category. Twenty three points. Yeah, Hiskinen could absolutely, absolutely. Heiskanen could absolutely win this thing. I mean, look, that Dallas is full of good players too, but not nothing near the star power that Tampa Bay can, can roll out there. Absolutely not. I think I think along with us, obviously, and everyone else watching this series, I think it's a pretty clear consensus around fans that the Lightning are going to win this series, and it's not going to seven games. So I think, I think we, all, we all have an understanding that Tampa's a better team. They're stronger. They're faster. Goaltending's phenomenal. And really, everyone's – like, they're going to, they, they click. They're great together. The lines are perfect. McDonough, he, five points this entire playoffs. He could definitely be playing better. But he's still been a crucial part to this lineup and for the Lightning as a whole. I think that it is absolutely Tampa Bay's cup to lose. No, nobody's going to go, go say otherwise. But what's able to to stop a really good team is Greg Golden. Varlamov was really good in the last series. He was really good outside of game one. But Tampa Bay was just better than that. Kudobin was really good in game one. He was honestly not that bad last night either. 
but Tampa Bay is just able to overcome that. When you have such a good team that's able to overcome great goaltending with even better goaltending behind them, it feels like an impossible recipe to stop. And look, maybe we're wrong. I honestly hope that we're wrong. You, you always root for chaos. Root for game seven, you know, when your team's not in it. Always. Yeah. Um, but to me, it just doesn't feel like that Tampa Bay can lose four games in seven days. I mean, that doesn't seem even remotely possible right now. If I will be very, very surprised if there is a game seven in the series. Vasilevsky is just dominant. And especially – in that third period, it's so hard to get the puck past him. So I, I'm I'm pretty confident that this game, that this series is not going game seven. Although I wouldn't really mind it. Like, no, who, no, Rangers no. aren't in, Islanders aren't. Why would you not want to see a game seven in the Stanley Cup Finals? We've seen, what, five game sevens, six game sevens already? So why not, why yeah. not add one more? 100% agree. So we'll see what goes on there. Game three is tomorrow night um, and – should be a great series, obviously, Stanley Cup final. Uh, even though it's weird because it will roll into October, um, it's just good to be watching hockey. Um, speaking of last night, the Big Five awards in the NHL were handed out. Let's uh, just talk about those real quick. We'll start with the Calder Trophy because this one feels the most obvious to me. Um, I didn't really see a way Cal McCarver was going to lose the Calder Trophy. He doesn't lose the Calder Trophy. Not taking anything away from Quinn Hughes or any of the other rookies in the league, but Kale McCarr is just on a different level. And he is the fifth Colorado Avalanche slash sixth, excuse me, sixth player in the Colorado slash Quebec um, franchise history to win the Calder Trophy, the first since Nate McKinnon in 2013-14. He is just on a different level, man. He is – he. I think he actually did get Norris votes for this year, if I'm not mistaken. Heiskanen definitely got a couple – McCarmont even gotten one or two as well. Um, and he will get many, many more as his career goes on. Yeah. And right at McCarr, Hughes, and after that, it was, it was a landslide between those two, but it was still a landslide for McCarr as well. Let all NHL rookie defensemen in goals with 12, four power play goals, and he's second, 38 assists and 50 points, which is second for NHL rookie defensemen. That guy is just amazing. And he is going to, be probably the biggest asset that the Avalanche have going forward, minus McKinnon, obviously. But he he is going to be that guy year after year after year who is going to be putting up big numbers. He won this by a landslide, and I don't think anyone's surprised about it. I think that he's exactly the guy Colorado needed. I mean, Colorado, he's their prize for that terrible season in Jerry Bednar's first year, if you remember. They were, they were good when McKinnon was first in the league. Landis guy was still young as well. Then they fired Patrick Waugh. They were terrible for one year, had the fourth overall draft pick, drafted McCarr, and now they're probably number two and they're the favorites in the Central Division next year, most likely, um, and, going, and going forward. He's exactly the guy they needed because they had all of this offensive star power, but they didn't have this superstar on the back line. Now they do, and a guy who won the Hobie Baker Trophy last year went to the playoffs, scored multiple goals in the playoffs for Colorado, has a great regular season to back it up, and now is the rookie of the year. You said that uh, Andre Vasilevsky did not win the Vesna Trophy, but who did? It was Connor Hellebuck from Winnipeg. He had a fantastic season. Um, it is a one-season award, so you can't really go against Connor Hellebuck, who was second in wins, first in shutouts, seventh in save percentage, uh, 31-21-5, and five, um, and allowed – two or fewer goals in 32 of those 58 games. 
you can't go against it. But to me, Andre Vasilevsky is still the best goalie in the world. Uh, that's pretty clear because his team is three wins away from the Stanley Cup and uh, Hellebuck's team is not. But Hellebuck had a great season. But if you're asking me if I had a vote, I would have voted for Vasilevsky. But I'm not going to get mad because Hellebuck won this award. Yeah, I, I, I see where the voters are coming from with Hellebuck. Hellebuck, Tukarask, and Andre Vasilevsky, three obviously top-tier goaltenders. I truly think it could have went to any one of them, but I'm on your side. Vasilevsky three games away from winning the Stanley Cup final. I know that it doesn't go towards the playoff, how you do in the playoffs or how you play there, but I feel like it should. Why, why shouldn't it? He's three wins away from a Stanley Cup final. Why, why, why doesn't that get put into effect? while talking about these awards. Yeah, I mean, it's a regular season award, and he could yeah. very well win the Smythe. So, I mean, it doesn't really bother me that it's not a playoff award. And But Vasilevsky had a fantastic regular season as well. Um, Hellebuck wins best goalie, but if you ask me, or a lot of people, if you can have one goalie in the world, who would it be? I, I think I'd pick Andre Vasilevsky. But nothing to take away from Connor Hellebuck. He's a heck of a goalie, but. Well, well, deserved, well deserved on his end too. He played great all season, but I think Vasilevsky just takes the cake on this one and is just one step ahead of both he him cer- and Ask. He certainly did. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl gets two awards last night. He has most outstanding Ted Lindsay and most valuable Art Ross. Um, I struggle with the MVP for Dreisaitl. I really do. I do as well. I, I don't think he should have came out on top. I think it should have been Nathan McKinnon just because I feel like he's – He's a better defensive he, player. He, the best player in the NHL. I, I like – okay, it's, it's, I think it's McDavid, McKinnon, but McKinnon should have won this award. And I, I think that's – I just think that's kind of weird how Dreisaitl playing alongside with McDavid won this award over McKinnon. And Artemi Panarin only getting 24 first-place votes is kind of weird to me. If, if you look at, you know – you might not be into the advanced stats of the NHL because it's an unpredictable game, but not even like the insanely advanced ones would tell you that Drysaddle was the borderline liability defensively. And to me, that isn't an MVP for for a league that was two games away from an Islanders stars, say like a final. Two teams who just hit hard and played good defense were almost the Stanley Cup final. The stars are there. I don't know why we're not rewarding defense more in the MVP trophy. Couturier for Selkie was a little bit controversial as well. If you look at the advanced stats, I don't have that much of a problem with it. But if you look at the people who are voted for Selkie, and then you look at the people who go who are voted for Hart, they're very rarely crossing over. Right? Patrice Bergeron doesn't have an MVP. Ryan O'Reilly's never getting MVP votes. Andre Kobodar probably did at one point. And those, to me, are like the guys who always kind of win it for me. Jonathan Taze has won it in the past. Yeah. I'm sure he gets MVP votes um, back in his prime. But to me, in these awards, I feel like defense should be more highly touted for the most valuable player in the league. The most outstanding player was Leon Dreisaitl, 110 points in 60-whatever games. Take that one all day long. I have no problem with that. For MVP, I'm I'm just struggling a little bit with Dreisaitl. Panarin, uh, to me, it it was Nathan McKinnon, was the most valuable player of the league. Uh, And I'm not just saying that because in the the preseason episodes, I picked him to win the MVP. It's not why I'm saying that, I promise. Um, But it's also a little bit odd that Dreisaitl won and is clearly the second best player on his team. Um, But 
you know, whatever. Where, um, do, you, where do you sit on McDavid, or McDavid coming in fifth place for this? What are your thoughts on, on that? Because I know it's, Trout, it's weird to see. It's Trout-esque. It's LeBron-esque. Where, yes, every single year, and it's Crosby-esque, where every single year the, he's, the, he's the best player in the world. Every, every single year, year after year, LeBron James is the best player in the NBA. Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. And Conor McDavid's the best player in hockey. They're just not going to win the MVP every year unless they do something cra- like uh, even better than what they did before. So I don't have a problem with it necessarily because it's a problem across all sports. Um, but it is one of those. Um, and then the last award given out last night was to – I'm sorry, my computer is freezing – was the James Norris Memorial Trophy given out to Roman Yossi. Um, I have no problem with this one, honestly. There's a lot of players that it can go to. I think in the preseason, I picked Eric Carlson because I just sat there and was like, I don't think I was really prepared to pick the best. And I was like, uh, Eric Carlson, I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, just to clarify what I said before, yes, Cal McCarr got 17 fifth place votes and two fourth place votes, uh, for the Norris Trophy, but Romeo Yossi takes it home with 109 first-place votes. John Carlson had a great season. Victor Hedman had a great season. Jacob Slave, now Trangelo, Shea Theodore. Those are the top six. Those guys all had great seasons, and any of those you could have given it to and said, yeah, I have no problem with that. Romeo Yossi's one of those guys. He's a great defenseman on a good national team. Yeah, 100%. I agree with the top three, Yossi, Carlson, Hedman. Yossi had a great season. Career high in goals, assists, and points and was second in NHL defenseman in each of those categories. And his assists were the most point assists and points were the most by a defensive in Nashville history. So I love that he won this. He deserved it. He, he's one of those players who is always grinding on off the ice. He, he puts his heart out on the ice and it shows, it shows when he's playing. He like, he won, they won the best defensive award. So it really shows and he's deserved this completely, but I'm not taking away from John Carlson either. He led all NHL defensemen with 60 assists and 75 points, and that guy can straight up play. He is – He's a really great offensive defenseman, but I think what won Yossi this award is how solid he is in the defensive zone. And I agree with – and, yeah, Carlson leads everybody with 75 points in 69 games. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I, I just – Not the main aspect of this yeah, award. I think that's like, not how you – I don't think that's how you're supposed to win a Norris Trophy. Um. And, I mean, Yossi's an un- unbelievable player. I love the part of uh, the show last night where Yossi's taking, accepting this award and he credits his defense partner, partner Ryan Ellis. I mean, that's just – that's awesome. Love that. Um, I do have one issue with the voting for this. What's that? And I don't know if you're going to yell at me or not because it is – that if you look down, way down at the bottom, it doesn't really matter. But in a tie for 12th, is Miro Haskinen and Tony D'Angelo? There's no way Tony D'Angelo had as good of a season as Miro Haskinen. There's just not a chance in heck. You can't convince me otherwise. I'm sorry, you can't. I I, I was seeing that Tony D'Angelo got votes, and I was kind of thinking, like, why and who was it? Like, who did who did who? Right, exactly. Like, like did they give Larry Brooks three votes and he put him on for two and fifth place and one and fourth? Like, what what happened here? Like, who what what voter was it that was like? I truly think Tony D'Angelo. The fourth best defenseman of the entire season. Like, who thinks that? Yeah, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it right now. 
That's that's crazy. I I know that these ballots are anonymous and they should be because people are insane. Of course. But I really do want to know who legitimately looked at themselves in the mirrors and said, you know who's the fourth best defenseman in the NHL? Tony D'Angelo, who isn't even the best defenseman on his own team, mind you. He's the fourth best defenseman in the NHL. I don't know. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I didn't know if that was just my anti-ranger bias or if I was being legitimate there. I'm glad that. No, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, look, look who's under him too. Quinn Hughes, who we talked, who we talked about in the beginning for the Calder Trophy, what he did this season. But like, I don't know why Tony D'Angelo is sitting right right up there. I don't know. It's a great season. Quinn Hughes, Chris Letang, even Provo. Like those guys had great seasons. I, I don't know. Tony D'Angelo is a fine player, but I don't think he's love him. But he, he he's not there defensively yet. He's not. I'm sorry. I just don't think he's the fourth best defenseman in the NHL. And if I'm wrong, uh, then I'm wrong, I guess. I don't know. All right. Um, the last thing that we're going to get to before we uh, head out of here is a postmortem for the New York Islanders. The longest playoff run they've had in 27 years. One more playoff games than they have since 1984. Six games, they lose in overtime to Tampa Bay. Um. When the goal went in, I was upset. I was sad. But at the end of the day, this is the highest high that we felt as Islander fans in my whole lifetime. Your whole life. You're not an Islander fan, but your whole lifetime. And it should, should only go up from here. Obviously, there's no guarantee, right? Ottawa was just at the conference finals four years ago, and now they're going to be drafting probably first or second next year. I haven't looked at the draft lottery. I know it already happened, but I forget. You know, they were drafting the top five again. Yeah, I actually don't remember when that is. Or and they, you know, and the Islanders yeah. traded their first round pick to Ottawa because they're tanking so hard. They traded their two best players away in the last two years. I don't think that's going to happen with the Islanders. I really don't. I think they're better built than that Ottawa team was. They're better coached, in my opinion. But when you're there, you want to win. But sitting here a week later. It really feels like this team is built for the long run. And there are a couple things that need to get done this offseason. Matt Barzell is an RFA. Lock him up long-term if possible. Ryan Pulak is an RFA. Lock him up long-term if possible. Devontae is an RFA. Of those three, I think he's the third third in importance, but still a heck of a player. Would love to see him get lock, locked up long-term, but the cap is a thing. So if they have to go short-term on Taze, let him walk in three years, I wouldn't hate it. I do like Devontae's a lot. I think I, I like watching him play, but Pulak's just a better defenseman. So I think he takes priority over Taze. And I know I sat here and screamed for my first two years on this podcast about getting more scorers for the Islanders, but I really do think one more is the answer. I think, you know, Paggio has been great on that center, in that center spot. He's played a great 200-foot game the entire time he's been here, but he's playing with, like, with subway turnstiles on his wing. And whether that's developing Keith Bellows and Oliver Wallstrom and getting one or both of them up next year, that would be huge. That would be huge for the cap. I just don't think that's possible. One thing that I've seen floated out there is Patrick Line, which would be, which would be unbelievable. Just, you know, don't call me a pessimist when I say I don't see it. Kyle Palmer. Well, he's a, he's going to be a free agent next year. So he's got his last year of the deal. And he's going to be a UFA next year. And Winnipeg probably isn't going to be that good again. So the idea is maybe they'll trade him and get something in return. You already don't have your first-round pick <clears throat> for the Pajot deal, excuse me. 
So I just don't see that one happening. Kyle Palmieri and Taylor Hall are two names I've seen thrown out there. To me, this offseason is about getting better offensively while still keeping that cap in mind because you're going to have to sign Barzell to a long-term contract if you don't this summer. So for me, I would love to see Bellows or Wallstrom in that role this offseason. But, man, it would be awesome, awesome for an Islander fan to see a real top-notch free agent legitimately pick the New York Islanders. That would be phenomenal. Is Patrick Laine that guy that all Islanders fans are wanting? Like, what's going on the Islanders community right now? I think that the main school of thought is if you take all – anything you ever learned in any economics class out of your head and you say Patrick Laine could be a New York Islander, you say, great. 100%. Fantastic. But then you realize what real life is, and I just don't think it's possible. I, I think this, that's, that's the reality of it. And, and it stinks, but look, they, they've, they've made a lot of good deals, right? Yeah, 100%. Seven, a seven, $7 million annual average for Andrews Lee, I will even admit is a lot. But you look at the postseason Brock Nelson had, for him to be a free agent last year as opposed to this year is huge for the bank account of, of John Ledecky. That's huge. So I think at the end of the day, they're going to have to put somebody there in that third line, slot them in. And whoever it is, they're probably going to be better than Leo Komarov. So at the end of the day, I'll take it. Let's go back to game six. Um, They lose two to one, obviously. They lose in overtime after the double overtime game for game five. But Varlarmov played great, I think. Most of the except for game one with yeah. when they let up eight goals, but he played phenomenal. Game six, 46 saves on 48 shots. He let up two goals and one was in overtime. I'd like, he is uh, the goaltender that is going to be going forward for you guys, at least I think. And well, no, it's going to be Sorokin. They, I think Ilya Sorokin has to go. Maybe Varlamov goes in as the number one, but I think that you have to be putting Ilya Sorokin out there on a constant basis. He's 25 years old. He's, widely considered across the league to be the best goalie currently not playing in the NHL. I think you just got to put him in there at this point. I Varlamov was a lot better than I ever expected him to be. And people Absolutely. who listen to this every people who listen to us every week will remember that when he got signed, I bashed the Islanders for not re-signing Robin Leonard to the same contract. Personally, I think it would be Sorokin, but yeah, Varlamov was great. You can't hate on that. One thing that I don't like about it is that Thomas Christ isn't going to be an Islander anymore. I, I, Thomas Christ was fantastic in his five years with the team. You can't deny that. Mm-hmm. Uh, played great in that series 2016 against Florida. Played great in game seven against uh, Philadelphia. And it kind of stinks that his last game as an Islander will be he got pulled after letting up three goals in the first period of game one against um, Tampa Bay. But – in terms of goaltending, yeah, Varlama was fantastic. I mean, I think you, if you look back at game six, Adam Pellick played game five, 31 minutes of game five with a broken wrist, which is crazy. Now, he's the best defenseman on the team. And 20 minutes before the game, I'm watching the pregame, you know, shaking, like sweating. I'm so nervous. And they're like, Adam Pellick is out. Braden Point is in. I was like, you got to be freaking, you got to be hitting me with this. I mean, there's just no chance now. And he was fantastic in keeping the Islanders in this game. Now, we didn't know that when, when they said Pellick was out that it was um, 
that it was a broken wrist and that he was going to be out for a long time. For all we knew, he tweaked his ankle on warm-ups and he wasn't, just wasn't good to go. And he couldn't come back for game seven. So my whole thought process is if Varley can get the Islanders through this game, they magically – Brock Nelson on that breakaway, dude, you have no idea how crazy I was going. Brock Nelson's shorty breakaway in overtime, for those who didn't see it, comes in, tries to go high on Vasilevsky. He just should have shot it low. But, oh, man. I thought if, if he goes backhand – if he goes back in, we're going to game seven, and Brock Nelson ha- has to be just, just sweating that one out still a little bit. I mean, that, that hurts, but not the point. Um, <laughs> my thought is if Varley can get us through this game, you're looking at a game seven with Adam Pellick back. Mm-hmm. And if you could beat them without Adam Pellick and with Braden Point, who the heck knows what could happen in game seven? Who knows what could happen in game seven in any sport, but especially in the NHL with a hot goalie? Um, Little did I know it was a broken wrist, but I think what hurts them, why they gave up 47 shots, was the absence of Pelican, the absence of Zizekas, you know, your best defensive forward and your best defensive defenseman not being there, it hurts. It, it just hurts the team. And Brayden Point's fantastic. The whole, the whole Tampa Bay team is outstanding. And, I mean, a squeaker from Sorelli, great pass from Barkley Goodrow, and a squeaker from Sorelli, from Sorelli I mean, let me tell you, man, Barkley Goodrow did his job this series because I do not like Barkley Goodrow anymore. And that, that's his job. <laughs> he, he has the Matt Martin role where no Tampa Bay Lightning fan likes Matt Martin anymore, which means he did his job. And I do not like Barkley Goodrow, which means he did his. I'd, like, I, uh, personally, me, I didn't expect the Islanders to even make it that far. I'm sure – I don't remember what your predictions were. I'm sure you did. But if, they, so they, if you they, go back, I thought, if, you, so. if you go back and you go into um, the NHL bracket challenge, which, which I participate in every year, I always get it wrong. Um, you will see that I actually got the Eastern Conference Finals correct this year and picked the Lightning to beat the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, or, you know, uh, there's no games on that part. Um, now, did I actually believe it was going to happen during Game Seven against Philadelphia? Of course not. Yeah. Sitting there like, oh my God, they're going to lose six nothing. This is going to be brutal. I sat here on this podcast. I sat here on one on one. I was like, yeah, psh, I got this. Don't worry about it. I was nervous, man. Let me tell you. Um, but no, it was a heck of a run. And I mean, Trotz has Barry, brought this team to heights that I did not think possible. Barry Trotz is the guy. I mean, like he's he's the reason why 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 they played why they played so well. He he's an amazing coach, and he's he's gonna. How long does he have left on his contract? What did he signed for? I think it wasn't disclosed because I was trying to find that the other day. I can't find it either. Couldn't find it. So, so I, however many years he has has left, I don't even think this is going to be his only contract to the Islanders. I'm pretty sure he's going to want to stay, and uh, Hire's going to want him to stay. But I, he, he is everything the Islanders could have asked for and more when he first. Oh, he signed around. a four year contract with the Islanders. Four year, okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's everything that Islanders could have ever asked for, and. The credit, so the credit, the thing, let me just go back to Trotz for a second. <clears throat> Excuse me. He is 58 years old, so at the end of that contract, he'll be 60. Will he want to keep coaching when he's 60? I don't know. I'm not Barry Trotz. Um, but that's the only concern I have. Other than that, I have no doubt that John Ledecky and Scott Malkin will pay him to do this job for the long term. I think, yes, we should be thankful for Barry Trotz. We should be thankful for Matt Barzell and Lula Morello, but at the end of the day, it comes down to, and if you're a Mets fan, this is happening. If you're a Jets fan like me, you're praying that this happens every day when you wake up. You're praying that you see this news. It comes down to John Ledecky and Scott Malkin buying this team. And I think that 
if you are, I know this isn't a baseball podcast, but if you are a Mets fan and you are also a hockey fan, that's why you should even have more faith in Steve Cohen to come in and fix this team. Because look at where the Islanders were. Ledecky bought the team right when they moved to Barclays, right in that, I don't know the exact year, but 2014, 15, 16, right in that area. Yes, they had John Tavares. Yes, they went to the playoffs in 2011. But they had Jack Capuano in Garth Snow. And then they fired Capuano. They had Doug Wake. And I don't know what the reason was why they had those guys and not Barry Trotsman and Lemoreau. But when they, when the deputy said, decided it was time to clean house and start over with his guys, he shelled out the money necessary to get two Stanley Cup champions in the building. Which and, is exactly what they need. And all of a sudden, there's a winning culture there where for years, ever since Al Arbor left in the 90s, there hadn't been a winning culture there. And what was especially annoying is that there wasn't a winning culture there, and then all the coaches would leave and go win Stanley Cups. You had Peter Laviolette, and now you have Rick Bonus with Dallas. Those might be the only two examples. I don't know all of them off the top of my head. But Ted Nolan coached uh, the Latvian Olympic team. They didn't win the gold medal, though. It's shocking, I know. Um, thought they would. Not the point. Um, but that's who you really have to thank is Ledecky and Malkin for, for getting these guys in the building and changing the culture around this team to now as fans of the team, we are expecting the absolute best for the next, you know, whatever, however long this off season is. And then to go out and win the Eastern conference next year and compete for the Stanley cup. When under Jack Capuano, not, not, not really even hating on Jack Capuano. It's really, it wasn't his fault under Garth Snow. That was never a thought. It, yeah, it wasn't even an expectation to get there. No, right. it, was, it was like, hey, if we get to the playoffs, great. I'd love to win one series. And when they won against Florida, I celebrated like they won the freaking Stanley Cup, and they didn't. They didn't win the Stanley Cup. They lost in five games to Tampa Bay that year. But, I mean, they, they, the culture has changed, and, and there's, a, there's an expectation around it, and I love it. I love that there's expectations around this team. And I'm not a Mets fan, but if you're a Mets fan, maybe in five years you'll be saying the same thing, where there are expectations around this Islander team because new ownership has come in and spent the money correctly, and they're, they're off to new heights. Yeah, it's, it's the best thing that's happened to the team, obviously. They, from, going, from where they were to where they are now, game six loss in overtime. And yeah. no less, Tampa, Tampa, Bay has clinched, Tampa Bay clinched every game this postseason in overtime. So if it was going to happen, it was going to happen in overtime. But the Islanders fought. They played hard. It, it wasn't what anyone expected, but exceeded all expectations. Just like you said, with the Mets, Steve Cohen buying, like buying them, sell clean house, start over, and I, I like good things can come from from both angles. You know, it's always a good thing to do that if your franchise can't win, as the Islanders haven't, the Mets haven't, like the Rangers really yeah. haven't. So it's 100%. really not the worst thing to be doing. Hundred percent. All right, well, that will do it uh, for us today. Game three tomorrow, big one to, to break this 1-1 tie between Tampa and Dallas. We'll be back at some point to break down all the games in the Stanley Cup final. Um, we got a dra- we got the draft in a couple weeks. And then the next season is supposedly going to be starting in December. So a lot of good stuff coming uh, from the NHL and from us within the coming weeks. For Mike Messina, I'm Chris Hennessy. We'll see you next time.